Good morning. So I just want to say this morning that I'm feeling very blessed that I got to wake up and come to this church that I love and read the word of God. And we get to pray together and break bread together and praise God together. And that we live in a country where we have the freedom to do that. And I just say praise God for that freedom. The first reading from this morning is Exodus, verse 16, 1 through 8. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even... Then you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be, when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which she murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. These are hangry people. <laughs> and the second reading is from Philippians 2, 12 through 16. And this one's about do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Word of the Lord. I know it sounds so cliche the first Sunday of the year, but it really is hard to believe that another year has come and gone and that it's 2020 already. We had an awesome Advent series or uh, season here at church, and so it's equally as difficult to believe that Lent is just eight weeks away. 
But there is a lot of good work to do between now and then, and so we're going to get going. It's always a, a funny process trying to figure out what to preach this particular time of the year. Some of us still have our Christmas decorations up, but also everyone is kind of talking about the start of something new. We're actually still in the 12 days of Christmas, but a lot of us have probably already broken our New Year's resolutions, I'm guessing. New year, new me, right? That's what we say. We make resolutions to lose weight, to eat better, to go to the gym, to spend less, to save more, to get organized. Maybe some of you have chosen a particular word that represents this year for you. It's this one time of year where everyone kind of collectively thinks about what we want the new year to look like. And so in preparation of a brand new year, we pastors always like to think of sermon series that will inspire you and encourage you. And so naturally, I came up with a series that I'm calling Shut Your Mouth. (laughs) I mean, how inspiring is that? But here's the thing. We start out our New Year's by focusing on particular habits that we want to address, right? Things that I just mentioned, working out more, handling our finances differently, or whatever the case may be for you. But we so seldom address some of our more internal habits. And then we get a month or two into the new year and we wonder why we are not miraculously different people. And so here we are this year tackling some of our inner habits. And in particular, some of our inner habits that have a hugely significant effect on our lives and on the lives of those around us. We know that our words matter, right? We know that. We say that. We talk about it. But man, we hardly ever live like we know that to be true. Our culture is shockingly careless with the things that we say. There's nothing people love more than to hide behind computer screens and spew out words that we would never say to somebody's face. Our words hold so much power. In fact, our words have the power to heal. They have the power to encourage, to inspire, to bring hope but equally they have the power to tear down and to destroy and to kill. Proverbs 11 says, Evil words destroy one's friends. Wise discernment rescues the godly. Later in that same chapter, it says, It is foolish to to belittle a neighbor. A person with good sense remains silent. That's a good theme for the year. A person with good sense remains silent. And again, the same chapter of Proverbs a little later says, your own soul is nourished when you are kind, but you destroy yourself when you are cruel. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Wise speech is rarer and more valuable than gold and rubies. I continue? Scripture has much to say about the words that we speak and how deeply our words impact lives, ours as well as other people's. And so during this series, we're going to spend some time talking about some of our bad habits when it comes to the words that we say. Now, before you sink down into a pool of shame, because like me, you know that you are guilty of some of the things that we are going to be talking about, let me be clear that it is not my hope or goal to shame anybody. It is not my hope or goal that we leave each Sunday filled with guilt. The hope is that we would be encouraged to think about our words differently, that we would be more intentional, 
that we would be more careful with what we say, that our words would speak life. Ultimately, our hope is that our words would reflect the Spirit of God within us. And so for these next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some of the things that I think come easiest to us. Things like lying, gossiping, and criticizing. And we're going to kick off this morning with the one thing that I think comes most naturally to many of us, complaining. How many of you are good at complaining? I feel like there's maybe more of you than that. (laughs) That's between you and Jesus. I can be so good at complaining if I want to be, because there are so many things to complain about. Some of the things that we love to complain about, let's see. Lines, I love to complain about lines. Or really anything we have to wait for. Most of us went in this life from a time period where we didn't have the internet at all to a time period where we had to wait like five minutes for dial-up internet. And now if our, if our server is like even the tiniest bit slow, mm-mm. we love to complain about that. What else? The government, we love to complain about the government. Doesn't matter which political party you affiliate with, we love to complain about the government, particularly anybody who's on the other side of, of how you tend to vote. Sometimes we complain about our family. We complain about lazy spouses or kids who don't listen or the one relative who drinks too much or our jobs. That's a fun one to complain about. I don't ever complain about my job. (laughs) Never. But I'm sure that most of you do, right? Our bosses are terrible. Our coworkers are incompetent. The hours are insane. The pay is terrible. The list goes on and on. What What else do we like to complain about? What am I missing? Weather. Oh, I did put that in here because I think it's like our birthright as Midwesterners <laughs> to complain about the weather, right? It's, it's the winter is way too cold and we just can't wait for it to get warm and then summer comes and it's too hot and then it's spring comes and it's too wet. It's just, yeah, it's like our birthright to get to complain about the weather. We love to complain about the weather. Really, we just love to complain about all kinds of things. I remember, and I think I've used this already, so forgive me, but it's such a great analogy. Vicki used this story when she was teaching last year about a a couple who went on a cruise and they had the most amazing time in the world. The food was incredible and the sights were spectacular and the weather was perfect. It was the trip of a lifetime. And then as they were getting off the boat, one of the people dropped their luggage in the water. And so when people came home and asked them about their trip, despite all of the good things that had happened, the only story that they told people was about their piece of luggage falling in the water, right? That pretty much sums up our existence, at least for a lot of us. A thousand things can go right, but we will spend our energy focusing on the one thing that didn't. So we already know that despite the fact that complaining comes oh so naturally to us, that complaining is not helpful at all. But did you know that complaining actually rewires our brains? It's true. I read a whole bunch about that this week and watched some videos on it as well. The gist of it is that our brains are always growing, obviously not in size, but in ability. It's referred to as neuroplasticity. So every time we try something new or learn something new, our brain grows and develops and adjusts to that new thing. It's an amazing thing, but it is also the thing that allows us to control some of the ways in which our brain is wired. And so when you complain, your brain reprograms to create space for complaining. So the more you complain, 
the more your brain begins to rewire toward complaining, which then makes complaining easier because you built a pathway for it. So pair that with the reality that our brains mirror what we see. In other words, you know when somebody asks you to take their picture for them and they smile and you unintentionally smile back at them while they're taking the picture? If you, it's, that's what we do, we mirror the behavior that we see and the same thing is true of complaining. And so if you spend a lot of time with people who complain a lot, we have these mirror neurons in our brain that will mimic what we see around us. And so you will start to complain more. This has been happening since the very beginning of time. In fact, if we go, go all the way back towards the beginning of the Bible that Chris just read from, we'll find a group of people who really mastered the art of complaining. The Israelites were, they were masters of complaining. They were like professional complainers. They were being held captive as slaves in Egypt. The work that they were forced to do while they were in Egypt was described as evil in motive and cruel in nature. The work was obviously both physically and mentally exhausting, but scripture also says that that work broke their spirits and that they were suffering greatly. So those of us who are sitting here this morning have no frame of reference for that, given where we live and the age in which we live, but can you try to imagine such brutal conditions? So then imagine for a second what it must have felt like when they learned that they were going to be set free. And freed they were. Through God's leading, Moses led the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the desert where God made them free people. And God did some pretty spectacular things for them in the process. Right? He had those plagues come upon Egypt in order that Pharaoh would release them to begin with. And then when Pharaoh changed his mind and decided to come after them, God literally parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. And since they were in the desert, it's not like they could grow food, or it's not as if they had some kind of cool lake from which to drink. But God knew that, and so he provided he provided for them by sending manna to feed them. Manna that literally fell from heaven every single day. And he provided water that sprang up out of a rock for them when they needed it. God performed miracles on their behalf. God freed them. God provided for them. And this is what they said to Moses in Exodus 14. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out here? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And we read that and we're like, wait, what? Clearly this group of people are suffering from some kind of amnesia. After all that God had done for them to free them from such brutality and suffering, all they can think to do is complain and I really wish that the text told us even in more detail what it is they complained about. I mean, they were out there a long time, I get that. I'm sure that that was difficult for them. They didn't really know what the plan was. They probably got sick of eating manna every day and wished they could just have a burger. I'm sure they had blisters on their feet from walking so much. They clearly thought that freedom was going to be a lot more fun than this. And they're complaining, given all that God had done for them, 
would be seriously unbelievable if we didn't do it all the time too. We say that we want something, we ask for it, we beg for it, we pray to God for it. I really need a job. I want a job in this particular industry. And then we get that job, and then we spend our days complaining about the hours and the demands and our boss or whatever else it is we tend to complain about. Or we really, really desperately want some time off. We need a vacation. And then finally we get the vacation, and then we complain about the crowds at the airport and the turbulent flight and the funny smell in the hotel room. Or, like I said, because we're Midwesterners, we complain about the weather. We're amazing at complaining. We're so good at it. We often seem to suffer from whatever kind of amnesia the Israelites had. The kind where we forget all that God has done for us and instead spend all of our time focused on everything that is wrong. And we tend to complain the most to the people who are closest to us. And so if you are married, you probably hear it the most from your spouse. If you're a parent, you're on the receiving end of your kids' complaints. We hear it from good friends. I'm confident that everybody in this room has been on the receiving end of other people's complaining, right? But the thing is, when we're complaining to someone else, we're not really complaining against that person. We're complaining against God. The Israelites were, were too, and Moses told them so from the passage that Chris read in Exodus 16. Moses said to them, who are we that you should grumble or complain against us? You are not grumbling or complaining against us, but against the Lord. And the same is true for us. Because complaining isn't our heart's response to any given circumstance. Complaining is our heart's response to God. I'm going to say that again. Complaining is not our heart's response to whatever particular circumstance we are in. Complaining is our heart's response to to God. So am I up here saying that when you're at work and your boss is driving you crazy and you come home and complain about that to your spouse, that that is actually your heart's response to God? Am I up here saying that when you're with a friend and you're complaining about your spouse and what they did or did not do, that they're driving you crazy, that that is actually your heart's response to God? Isn't that just me kind of over-spiritualizing things that aren't really spiritual? Well, most of you in the room know me well. And you know that that's not really my jam. I love Jesus, but I don't tend to over-spiritualize things. I don't tend to twist any little thing to make, to make it into a spiritual concept. I'm not the kind of person that if you stub your toe, I'm going to gather people to, you know, gather people to lay hands on you. I don't tend to over-spiritualize things. I do love Jesus. But can you just imagine it? Can you just imagine? I just wonder what their conversation was like with Moses. And I, I admit that I'm speculating here, but... But just imagine their conversation. They're complaining about the food or the fact that their feet hurt from walking or how bored or tired or lost they all are. And Moses tells them, as he really did in Scripture, that they aren't complaining against Moses, they're complaining against God. And they're all like, no, Moses, I'm actually complaining about the blisters on my feet or the fact that if I eat one more bite of manna, I'm going to lose my mind. And Moses is all exactly complaining about those things as your response your heart's response to God. And then I imagine that they probably threw one of Moses' sandals really far away and stormed off because this conversation was annoying. And maybe you feel like doing the same thing to me, but before you throw something at me, at least let me explain what I mean. We've actually talked about this before, but from a slightly different angle. In fact, just a little over a month ago, around Thanksgiving time, we talked about gratitude 
and the reality that if gratitude is based purely on our circumstances, then we are really going to struggle to be grateful people, right? Because life is hard. And if we can only be grateful when life is going perfectly, then, then we are not going to be grateful very much. So what did we say was the alternative? The alternative is to have our gratitude based on who God is and what God has done instead of on our own circumstances. That way, even if money is tight or the diagnosis isn't good or we lose our job, despite all of those things, we are still able to be grateful. But only if our gratitude stems from God and not our circumstances. If our heart is filled with gratitude, we can be grateful. If our heart is filled with complaining, we complain. In fact, whatever our heart is filled with is bound to come out in the way that we live our lives. I'm sure some of you have heard this before. If you're standing there and you're holding a cup of coffee and somebody bumps into you, why did you spill your coffee? And you would say, well, Blaze bumped into me. Except that's the wrong answer. You spilled your coffee because there was coffee in your cup. If there had been tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea. Whatever is inside the cup will spill out. And it is inevitable that this life will bump into you and even shake you. So whatever is in you is going to come out. So if you have rewired your brain to complain and your heart is filled with ingratitude, then when life bumps you, your natural response is going to be to complain. And the enemy would have it no other way. You see, we are a very easily distracted society, and that is just one other way that Satan has, has taught us to take our eyes off of God. When our eyes are fixed on God, gratitude will come naturally to us. When we take our eyes off of the goodness of God and fix our eyes on anything else, we are destined to complain. And to be clear, I am aware that there are those here this morning who are going through some extraordinarily difficult and painful things. And I am not at all trying to downplay or invalidate those very real things in your life. When you are hurting or grieving or struggling, God absolutely invites you to bring your pain and your doubt and your anger to him. But sharing very real hurt and pain is not what I am talking about. And I am trusting this morning that we are keenly aware of the difference between sharing about a bad day with a friend or grieving an enormous loss, <coughs> excuse me, or facing a huge battle versus complaining constantly, right? We are aware of the difference between those things. And also, I do happen to believe that we can face the most challenging and painful of circumstances, painful of circumstances with a heart of gratitude and without complaining. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that I have ever done it well, but I believe that it's possible because it's what God calls us to. And I think it's probably all just a matter of our perspective. There's a covenant pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle, and he says, if you can change your circumstances, do something about it. But if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. And I know, I know that that is much easier said than done, but these are seriously wise words. If you are complaining about your circumstances and you can change them, then change them. 
If you're complaining about being lazy and out of shape, as I've done many, many times, you have the means to change it. So change it or quit complaining about it. If you're complaining about your cluttered house, you have the ability to change it. So change it or quit complaining about it. But if you are in a situation that cannot be changed, you cannot change the loss of the one that you loved. You cannot change your diagnosis. If you can't change what you are facing, you have to consider what you can change. And what you can change is your perspective. You can change what you say about your situation. You can change how you handle your situation. You can change how you see your situation. So how do we do that? Well, it all depends upon what our eyes are fixed on. If our eyes are fixed on fear or pain or all of the what-ifs, then all we will see is fear and pain and what-ifs. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, then what we will see is Jesus. And I know that sounds like such a church line, but it is remarkably true. We spend so much time thinking about all of the things that we have lost instead of all of the things that we have been given. We spend so much time thinking about all of the things that God has failed to do for us despite our asking him to, instead of thinking about all of the things that God has already done for us. You know, like creating us and freeing us and accepting us and dying for us and saving us. We as a culture have rewired our brains toward complaining and it's time to rewire them once again toward gratitude. And we do that by remembering. Going back to the grumbling Israelites in the desert, well, one of the things that God had them do was to put some of that manna that fell from heaven, he had them put it in a jar. And year after year after year, despite the fact that this manna sat in a jar in the sun, the manna never, ever spoiled. Why did God have them do that? To remember. To help them remember every day that God would provide for them and that he would never stop. Now they complained anyway, but we can choose a different path. When we choose to remember who God is and all that God has done for us, we can rewire our brains once again, this time toward gratitude. And so my question for you this morning is, what has God done for you? Where have you seen God's fingerprints upon your life? Did he protect you from something? Did he bring someone into your life that changed you? Has he filled your life with love? Has he healed something that was broken in you? Has he provided for you? Has he been there for you? Has he helped you through every single difficult thing that you have endured up to this point? Little hint on this one. If you're sitting here this morning, the answer to that one is yes. We can very, very easily choose to spend our lives complaining about all that is wrong. I get it. I do it. Because there are a lot of things wrong in this world. We will never be short for material, nor will we ever be short on people with whom to complain. But as we start this brand new year, I just want to remind us this morning that we are made for so much more than that. 
And I think that the antidote to this kind of spiritual amnesia that causes us to complain, I think the antidote to that is to remember the goodness of God. You were once far away from God, and in his love for you, he died to bring you near to him forever. God loves you. God pursues you. God transforms you. God saves you. And so this morning, you are invited to come to the table to eat and drink the antidote to our complaining. Gratitude for the God who has provided all that we need. You are invited to the table this morning. Because what do we do? We remember. A lot of communion tables across the front says, do this in remembrance of me. It's part of the words that we speak. And so we're going to remember by telling that story this morning of when Jesus was gathered with his disciples shortly before he died. And he took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks for the bread. And then he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup saying the same thing. He gave thanks. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he told them, even as we are reminded this morning that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord and the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. God, complaining is so much easier than anything else. It's what comes naturally to us and there's so much to complain about in this life. But Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning that you would help us to pause for a moment and to think about the times and ways and places in which your fingerprint has been all over our life. That we would choose this morning, no matter what we are facing, that we would choose this morning, God, to remember that you are God and that you are good. That we would choose this morning to focus not on all of the things that we have lost, but on all of the things that we have been given. Not on all of the things that we don't have that we wish we had but on all of the the goodness that you have brought into our lives. And so God, would you meet us in this place this morning? Would you meet us at this table and remind us that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we are remembering who you are and what you have done. And so we thank you for these gifts. In your name we pray. So I actually think it was Lois that taught me this a long time ago, but if you're trying to think of a practical way to work on your complaining, to put a rubber band on your wrist, and every time you complain, put it on the other wrist. And see how many times a day you move your rubber band back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. But as we close this morning, I'm going to reread a passage, a portion of what Chris read for us earlier from Philippians. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This isn't about us and about us shining brightly. This is about us shining brightly so that in a complaining world, people will know the light of Christ. And so go this week and watch your words. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.